welcome to POMCAST, the podcast brought to you by Pompon Quarterly. I'm Lydia Gluck and I'm here as I am very frequently with the wonderful Sophie Heathscott for a special additional episode of POMCAST. Yes, although it is our summer holidays for the POMCAST, uh, we took a little summer trip. We uh, took a school trip, <laughs> packed our sandwiches and uh, we went to Cambridge. So we're giving you a little special bonus recording of our day out at uh, Murray Edwards College. Um, And the reason we went uh, and had this trip is because the Murray Edwards College is home to the Women's Art Collection, which is a collection of modern and contemporary art by women. And I didn't know it was, it's the biggest collection in Europe. Yeah, I know, it was all very exciting um, because the art collection held by the college um, is kind of displayed around the college itself so the exhibition that we went to see was all in one um really beautiful I mean to call it a corridor doesn't really do it justice because it's kind of an amazing um brutalist bit of architecture that building and it's got these amazing like big glass windows and it's all like very beautifully lit um so that was all in one place but then there's also just like amazing art throughout the whole college like we had um our lunch there which was a lovely treat and in the dining hall there was uh, like a Paula Rego on the wall, as, me- as well as many other exciting things. And you can, um, if you go and see the exhibition, or even if you can't make this exhibition, but you want to go another time, you can get like a little sort of tour from the reception. And then you can wander around the college and, and look at the art and the building and maybe pretend you're a student at Cambridge. And that's free, open to the public. You can uh, walk in and uh, take in all the art, like you said. It's all around the college, so a wonderful experience and a great building, wonderful architecture. We talk more about that in the uh, in the interview. And uh, what did we get up to there, Lydia? Well, we were visiting a wonderful exhibition called What Lies Beneath Women, Politics, Textiles. And we got to interview uh, Naomi Polonsky, who is one of the curators of that exhibition, And the whole visit was organised with Laura Mosley of Common Threads Press, who couldn't join us that day, but we're very grateful to her for helping us organise it. And it was actually my first time in Cambridge. Very exciting. Mine too. (gasps) Yes, I've only uh, gone through to uh, catch a train, which isn't enough time to have spent in Cambridge. (laughs) So we're very thankful uh, to Naomi and Laura and the team at Murray Edwards, who welcomed us. And uh, we thought we'd bring you Pomcats along uh, for a little virtual tour, almost an audio tour of what the exhibition is, uh, because it does bring together uh, textiles work, which you know, we thought you uh, folks would be interested in. <laughs> yes, a virtual tour indeed, which you can also do in a visual manner on the website. So you can access that online. Maybe you even want to do that while you're listening to us. Whoa. That would be pretty cool. Uh, You can go to womensart.murrayedwards.cam.ac.uk to take the virtual tour. Um, But also the IRL exhibition, if you can indeed get to Cambridge and you would like to have a school trip a bit like ours, it's open until the 28th of August this year. So there's still some time, which is very exciting. And I think before we head over to uh, listen to the interview with Naomi, perhaps useful for us to read the little blurb that tells us about the exhibition because it's been very thoughtfully written and I'm not sure I could do much better (laughs) than reading it out. So um, the exhibition is called What Lies Beneath Women, Politics, Textiles, and it brings together a multi-generational international group of women artists and collectives using textiles to comment on politics and society. 
Traditionally, the history of textiles is the history of women's work. Whether hung over beds, laid on floors or worn on the body, textiles have a unique ability to communicate collective histories and individual stories. Over time and continents, this tradition has evolved. From Chilean apilleras to quilts from the American South, textiles have become a powerful way to shape identity, build community and prompt political action. So with that description, we thought uh, that's something we'd want to Uh, check out and check out we did so here is our chat with Naomi the curator and as Lydia said you can check out the virtual tour have a little listen and a look and we also have some photos on the blog as always so yeah come along with us for a little artistic tour at uh, the Murray Edwards College. So today, uh, podcast is on the road. This is a first for us uh, in the uh, sense we are now in Cambridge. Hi, Lydia. Hi, Soph. How's it going? Very well. Uh, it's, a, it's a delight to welcome Naomi Polonsky. Uh, welcome, Naomi. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for inviting us to Cambridge. Uh, yes, we just had a private tour, pretty much, of the wonderful exhibition that you've curated here uh, at the college. But I guess before we get to that, we'd uh, yeah, can you introduce yourself for us, the listeners? What do you get up to, and uh, uh, what what is your role here at the college? So I am the assistant curator at the Women's Art Collection, which is based at Murray Edwards College, um, which is one of the two women-only colleges at the University of Cambridge, and. The collection was founded in the 80s after the very pioneering feminist artist Mary Kelly did a residency at Kettle's Yard, which is just down the road, and was in residence at Newhall, as the college was then called. Mm -hmm. And the college acquired Mary Kelly's work and started the fellowship started thinking about the representation of women artists in museums and galleries and recognised that they were very starkly underrepresented. And so they decided to create a collection for women artists. And the way they went about doing that was that they wrote, compiled a list of 20 women artists in consultation with Anne Jones, who's a curator of the Arts Council collection. And they wrote them a letter saying, would you like to donate an artwork? And out of the first 20 who were contacted, 19 said yes, which shows their desire to be represented, represented at a time when they were largely overlooked by museums and galleries. So they were emboldened by this and carried on contacting women artists. Um, artists also recommended one another or directly approached the college. And by 1992, 30 years ago, there were 75 artworks and they officially announced the that this was a collection, the Women's Art Collection, which we recently reverted our name to just about mm. a month ago. Um, and the feminist art historian Griselda Pollock gave a speech at the opening, as did a few of the artists, including Maud Salter, who we did our last exhibition on. And since then, it's grown and grown, and now we have over 600 works in the collection. It's the largest collection of its kind in Europe, and it's an absolute pleasure to work with it. It's such an interesting collection to work with, an absolute treasure trove of women's creativity and agency. And my role here is a mixture of working on exhibitions and, and events, participating in research and teaching about the collection, working on acquisitions, and also 
maintaining the artworks, conserving them, making sure that the environmental conditions are right, which at times is challenging because it's based at Mario Edwards College, which is an iconic brutalist building, and sometimes brutalist architects weren't that <laughs> considerate <laughs> about the artworks which might be in their buildings. So <laughs> there are lots of open windows which flood the building with light and a fountain at the centre of the college, which is very beautiful, um, but sometimes challenging in <laughs> <laughs> conservation. Yeah, I mean, I think what I didn't quite realise before we looked around earlier um, was that the artworks held in the collection are kind of scattered around the building. So as you walk through the building, you're treated to all this like incredible world-class art, which is it's really quite special. I don't know what I imagined ahead of time, but yeah. I hadn't quite realised that. And I suppose it's important to say that it's obviously free for everyone to come in. As all this is a, a working college, it is a space where people can come in and have a self-guided tour to see all the artworks. Yeah, so the collection was granted museum accreditation in 2018. And as part of that, we are open to the public mm. every day between 10 and 6. Anyone can walk in off the streets. And as you say, Lydia, they are displayed all around the building. So they're in the big public spaces like the dome, which is the dining room, and in the walkways, for example, the walkway where the exhibition is, but also in staff offices, student corridors, and they are really there for people to enjoy all the time. And only a very small percentage are not on display. Mm. Um, and that's usually for conservation reasons. For example, if a photograph or a work on paper needs to be rested for a period of time. Oh, rested. I know, it's <laughs> so quite nice. a sweet yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's so lovely. Good to know you're looking after them very well. <laughs> we do care very well. <laughs> So one of the reasons we're here is obviously the current exhibition, which we've just seen, uh, What Lies Beneath, um, I guess. Where do we start with uh, explaining that? Because obviously we're in the audio uh, format of the podcast, but maybe you can give us a little background uh, of the exhibition and how it came together to start with. So I'm currently doing maternity cover for the curator at the collection which is actually the second maternity cover of hers that I'm covering. And when I started this time in August of last year, she told me that this exhibition slot was available and that I could do whatever I wanted with it, which was quite a nice thing to hear. And I immediately thought of doing an exhibition on textiles because textiles is so fundamental to the history of what of, um, art by women and is really embedded in conversations about hierarchies of mediums and genres and the categorizations that there have been between fine art and applied art or craft which has meant that a lot of incredible and technically adept artworks by women have been have not been credited or celebrated properly and so I first of all looked at the textile works that we had in the collection and was surprised that we had very few. And the works that we do have by Miriam Shapiro, Paminda Kaur and Francesca Annap are extraordinary works. But yes, they were very few in number. And so I just thought that that was interesting in and of itself. And the reason for that is because when the collection was founded in the early 90s, painting was very dominant and also because of the difficulties around displaying artworks in this um, setting. Uh, Wall-based works like painting and photography and works on paper are easier to display. 
So in the last couple of years, I'd come across several young artists making extremely interesting and inventive works using textile practices. And first of all, I contacted them and asked them whether they would be interested in contributing work to this exhibition. And they were all very excited. And three artists contributed really new work. Mm -hmm. So Nengi Amuku, for example, only finished her piece about three weeks before the exhibition opened. Anya Paintsel also finished her work very, very soon before the exhibition opening, which is so exciting because these are works that have never been seen before. And um, in Nengi's case was responding to the collection in the college, which she visited um, in the months before. Then I also uh, was collaborating with um, an academic called Lorna Dillon, who specialises in Latin American textile art, specifically by women, and is an expert on Chilean arpilleras. And she brought a Chilean and Colombian work into the exhibition, which I think hugely enrich it, and, um, and also contextualised the work that we have in the collection by Francisca Amnat, which is called Arpillera Three, but it, which is a very unconventional arpillera. This uh, term, maybe uh, I, the first time I've heard it, this today, seeing the pieces, maybe you could explain uh, for people who haven't heard that one before. So an arpillera is a traditional Chilean art form which was invented in the 1970s under Pinochet's dictatorship. Arpilleras are usually made by groups of women called arpilleristas and they had a strong activist dimension to them. They were often protesting against human rights abuses, uh, for example, people, dissidents who had been disappeared by the government. And the arpillera that we have in the exhibition is made by a contemporary feminist art collective called Memorarte, who are using this form, but um, but with more of a contemporary twist. And they often make arpilleras for protests. So the one that we have was for, made for a protest in 2018, and it commemorates the disappeared during Pinochet's dictatorship. It was made collaboratively and features hands holding up placards which have silhouetted forms and then embroidered words saying donde están and phrases like that. And it's a really powerful piece. I think um, those ones in particular, the apilleras, were were very powerful. I'm possibly just because my Spanish is good enough to understand what it said <laughs> on them. <laughs> but um, yeah, there was a lot of really interesting juxtaposition between the fabrics that were used and the message. I think that's something that we had um, or that you had pointed out and that I was particularly struck by people, you know, kind of using uh, fabrics that were left over from other things or maybe being repurposed. Um, yeah. And a really interesting dimension of that particular arpillera and others made by Memorate is that because they're used in with a functional purpose at these protests, they have soiling at the bottom of them. And when they're exhibited in museums, the artists ask for that dirt to be kept because it becomes part of the artwork. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we saw that dirt, it's true. <laughs> <laughs> you can verify that yeah. the dirt is there. So we sort of talked about, uh, yeah, you started sort of explaining some of the pieces that made this uh, exhibition come together. How did you, how did you sort of, uh, yeah, curate, I suppose, uh, the word, these pieces and make those choices as well as introducing the new pieces? What was the message that kind of links them all together? I wanted to demonstrate all of the different techniques that there are relating to textiles. So the works that I've selected 
um, are made with collage, embroidery, applique, rug hooking, fabric painting, knitting, so many different techniques. But something that unifies all of the artworks is that they have an underlying political message. And that could be very overt, for example, with the piece by the Tejedores de Mampuján, who won the Colombian National Peace Prize a few years ago mm. for their work exposing human rights abuses in Colombia. Or it could be more subtle, for example, in Nengi's work, which is about social and political processes and their effect on individuals. And a lot of her works are very personal. Perhaps you could explain that piece for us. So it's an absolutely beautiful piece. It's called Collision and it features two figures who are kind of intertwined against a dramatic, fiery backdrop. And the figures have very textured skin and um, don't have any features on their face. So they're kind of anonymous. And Nengi uses this very specific medium of oil on sonyon fabric, which is a traditional Nigerian fabric made with woven threads from silk moths. So it's incredibly hard to manufacture and isn't manufactured any longer. So Nengi goes around marketplaces buying up strips of sonyon fabric, which she uses in her artworks. And the fabric is associated with pre-colonial Nigeria, is often used in clothing. And she uses this because of its associations with that history. Um, but also in a fresh and contemporary way. And her aim is to reflect people's inner emotions and thoughts externally. So often the backdrops reflect inner turmoil, for example, in Collision, which has this very beautiful, fiery um, backdrop to it. Wonderful. We're really giving you a task of painting the picture. Yeah. <laughs> With my words. <laughs> One of the things you remarked on there, and also when we were looking for the exhibition earlier, was the use of recycled materials. And one piece that stands out to me is the G's Ben quilt. Uh, could you tell us a little bit more about that as well? Yes, of course. It's a really wonderful work by Stella May Petway, who is one of the G's Bend quilt makers. And for those who don't know about G's Bend quilt makers, they're a community of African-American women living in rural Alabama on the um, inner town called Boykin, which is known as G's Bend. And they have been passing down quilting techniques through the generations since the 19th century. And there are these common images and techniques, but also each of the quilt makers has their own distinctive idiosyncratic style. And Stella May Petway's quilt that we have in the exhibition is called Big Wheel. And it's both abstract and also slightly representational because there's this circular form, which looks like it could be a wheel or perhaps an eye. And the colors are navy and then this kind of coral orange. And then on the outside is a kind of Laura Ashley-ish print. And interestingly, there were prints in the in the American South, which were then kind of transported to the UK and inspired Laura Ashley. So there's all of these references to the history of fashion because the quilts are made from recycled clothing. And some of the quilts that we were offered by the gallery that represents G's Bend quilt makers in the UK to exhibit in this show were from the 70s and have these amazing hot pink colours and gold stars on them and reflect the kind of 70s fashions. 
And well, one of the pieces that I really enjoyed seeing was by Anya Paintsill, who is a Welsh Ghanaian artist. And I was saying, I was telling you guys that I had seen her, the exhibition of her work at the Glyn Vivian in Swansea, which is where I grew up. Um, and uh, I, I'm not, I'm, I have complicated feelings about patriotism, but I do love Wales. <laughs> <laughs> and I particularly loved uh, seeing Anya's work. And as you said, this piece that you have in, in the collection and in this exhibition is actually had never been seen uh, before you guys exhibited it. And that's because it was created for you and was only finished sort of, you know, just in time for the exhibition. It's, I feel very um, heartened that artists sometimes, you know, are working on work right up until uh, the end there. But yeah, I wondered if you could tell us a bit about the process of, of working with Anya. So I did a virtual studio visit with Anya during the pandemic and was immediately taken with her work. She has, even though she's very young still, she has such a distinctive style. And what's so interesting about her technique is that she is uniting Welsh rug hooking techniques, which were passed down through the generations of Welsh women in her family and also Afro hairstyling techniques, which relate to her Ghanaian heritage and creates these works, which are often very autobiographical. The one that we have in the exhibition is part of a series of women from Welsh folklore. Uh, so in this work, she's depicting Bla Davis, who's a character in the tale of Math Bab Mathonwi, and it translates from Middle Welsh as flower face. So there are these beautiful little flowers on it. And it's one of her smaller works. She often works on a very large scale, but this is one of her smaller pieces. And because of the format, it almost looks a bit like an Instagram post. And someone has pointed out to me that it has quite a millennial aesthetic to it. There's a kind of millennial pink color um, and the materiality of it is amazing. Um, so Bladavis is uh, depicted from her waist up and has these wonderful fluffy boobs. She does. And I think, yeah, something that we were talking about is the way that um, Anya uses the rug hooking techniques to create kind of relief in that way. Um, and yeah, so it's got this kind of almost sculptural feel, even though it's like a, well, I don't know if even though is the right way of putting it, but people maybe don't think of textiles as being sculptural a lot of the time. But I think this piece in particular really shows the potential for that. Yeah, and I think there are several other works which also have a sculptural quality to them. For example, Enam's work, What Lies Beneath Empire's Dark History Revealed, which inspired the title of the exhibition and which is made from used tights, which are knitted into panels and then the panels are stitched together and the tights have slightly different colours. And Enam is really interested in the fact that even though tights have existed since the 14th century, only in the last few years have they started to be made as skin colour tights for women of colour. Mm. And there are some black tights in the upper right corner and another panel that's kind of being peeled back. So that's the dark history being revealed. And it has an amazing sculptural dimension to it it almost looks like a relief and it really emerges from the wall so I think that even though as you say textiles aren't often thought of as three-dimensional they do have that quality to them absolutely I was just thinking about our most recent episode where we were talking about sewing and how like sewing clothes and how that involves making a 2D thing into 3D. And it's interesting that people walk around wearing clothes that are essentially 3D textiles. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and then yeah. still there's not that kind of, uh, it's not in the kind of common consciousness. 
Um, but I didn't realise that that piece was made with tights. That's really interesting because obviously it's knitted. So yeah. Sophie and I felt an affinity <laughs> in that sense. You spotted the garter stitch. Oh, garter yeah. stitch. Is that even a reference with the... Whoa, the tights. So the type of the stitch is garter stitch. So. Oh, yeah. yeah quite possibly. Mm. Mm. One, of the, one of the things I love, well, I don't know, partly as a, like a maker and a textiles person is you're saying about the sculptural quality of so much of the pieces. I sort of didn't. But I wanted to reach out and touch them and sort of explore that kind of... Uh, how they've been made and also like the yeah the, the tactile quality of them. Yes, I did very much enjoy looking at them closely and being like, ooh, that kind of applique here. And like, oh, I, I was saying with the G's Bend quilt that the, the knots, the quilter's knots were on the front of the piece. And I found that really interesting um, just because I think that that is possible. Maybe it's not that unusual. I mean, there's not mm. that many old quilts that I've seen or that one's not, you know, but there's not how many quilts have I actually seen in real life? <laughs> Yeah. you know as a proportion of quilts that have been made um but i kind of i enjoyed seeing those kind of technical elements a bit more on display yeah and i think it's totally true that you want to go up and touch these works probably partly because they are part of our everyday life normally if you normally see a quilt you want to go and snuggle up in it. so it's almost a bit counterintuitive to see it in a gallery setting and not be able to touch it and something so refreshing about textiles is that it blurs those lines between so-called fine art and applied arts and shows that there is this huge overlap between the two. Absolutely. I suppose it's also interesting to think about uh, the reframing of textiles as a quote-unquote fine art and the fact that because we've not been brought up with that as a concept you kind of have this idea that maybe you're more allowed to touch them maybe because it's not mm. as like removed from you in that kind of way where you definitely know you're not supposed to touch a painting in a gallery. Yeah. And also the materials that are being used are very down to earth materials. Yes. It's recycled clothing, mm. used tights, bits of fabric that are just found in the home. And it's a very democratic way of creating art because everyone ha has access to those materials. And I think another part of the reason that we're so compelled to go and touch things is that they feel personal a lot of the time. Most people have some connection to the type of works that are on display here. For example, my grandmother is a quilter and when she came to see the exhibition, she knew exactly what type of stitches were being used. And she used to make clothes for my mum. So there's also that dimension to it. And so I think for a lot of visitors, uh, specifically female visitors there is this point of relevance for them one of the um things you also referenced when we were walking around was talking about the the time and the labor which is sort of in all these pieces as well could you sort of talk a bit more about that again yes absolutely so a lot of the artworks that are on display use techniques which are very very time consuming and labor intensive for example Anya's work which is rug hooked takes a long time to make and so there's this feeling of love and care that's gone into making the works which is true of women's textile practices throughout history and one of the things that I wanted to communicate with this exhibition was that a lot of these artists are honoring the women who came before them and trying to make visible these invisible textile practices which were often obscured or dismissed as being women's work but 
involve extraordinary technique and time. So the last piece that we wanted to talk about today, I mean, we could talk about all the pieces, mm -hmm. but of course that would create a podcast that is too long. Um, but yes, the one that we wanted to talk about uh, was by Miriam Shapiro. And I know that you had a quote of hers uh, on the wall for all of us to read. <laughs> and I wondered if you wouldn't mind uh, reading that out for us now. Yeah, definitely. I think that this quote by her really encapsulates what I wanted to communicate with the exhibition, so I will definitely read it out. She said, I wanted to validate the traditional activities of women, to connect myself with the unknown women artists who had made quilts, who had done the invisible women's work of civilization. I wanted to acknowledge them, to honour them. That's wonderful. I think um, personally that the exhibition does does that. Uh, it's very Thank much you. in the spirit of Miriam Shapiro. Um, but I wondered if you could uh, like briefly describe the work. And um, it's also like when we went to look at the exhibition, the direction that we entered from, it was the first one on, on the left. And I imagine that was an intentional decision on your part. Yes, it was. And at the end is her quote. So she's kind of bookending the exhibition. And it's a really central piece because it's in our collection. And she was such an important 20th century artist. She spearheaded the pattern decoration movement in the 70s and invented femage, of which the work in our exhibition is an example, which combines the words feminist and collage and has a conscious feminist subtext to it. So she's using um, a mixture of materials, including sequins and bits of gold thread, which are more normally associated with craft lessons, but she wanted to elevate them to the level of fine art and the work is called Madness of Love it's, it was made in 1987 and it depicts these two figures on a stage who are intertwined in a similar way to the figures in Nengi's work which is next to her in the exhibition which was actually not intentional but is a nice thing that it has emerged Tell us it, is. Yeah. it could have which, been subconsciously intentional perhaps. which was very intentional <laughs> And they are yeah, really um, beautifully intertwined. And there's this very theatrical stage that it reminds me of certain ballet russe uh, scenography designs from the early 20th century, which I think might well have been a reference for her because her father was a Russian Jewish immigrant. And I think she was drawing on that heritage. So now this is your official invitation, I guess, to come to Murray Edwards College and see the, the <laughs> exhibition. Um, how long is the exhibition on for, Naomi? The exhibition is on until the 28th of August. And even for people listening, who obviously maybe Cambridge isn't as easy commute as it was for me and Lydia today, um, you also have an online uh, exhibition. We do indeed, which is accessible through our website, the Women's Art Collection. Wonderful, and we'll we'll have links uh, to to that. And um, I think it's a. I'm really pleased to have found this wonderful resource that um, is so wonderfully available to the public and thank you so much for coming and well for allowing us to come to you and giving us a tour and talking us through the inspiration behind the exhibition I think um if only I could spend all my days like this yeah <laughs> thank you so much thanks very much thank you so much and please do come visit again and to the listeners come visit first time perhaps <laughs> <laughs>
Well, thanks again to Naomi for showing us around and for taking the time to do this interview with us. I hope you enjoyed it as much as we did. We had such... I mean, I want now for every exhibition I go to for, to be able to interview the curator. I feel very spoiled. Yeah, it was a delight. Uh, so thank you so much, Naomi. And uh, yeah, we hope you enjoyed this slightly different style for the podcast. We hope you get to check out maybe in person or certainly virtually the selection at the Women's Art Collection at the Murray Edwards College. And that is all from us this summer. Our school trips are over and we're going to just be uh, playing back in the back garden and maybe making weird potions that's what I used to do in my summer holidays um (laughs) (laughs) so that sounds like maybe playing video games anything could happen but we will be back for uh, our more scheduled programming in August so you can keep an eye on our socials to find out when and in the meantime you know you could even listen to some back episodes of Pomcast who knows lots to enjoy all right take care Poms we love you bye Pomcast is produced by Lydia Gluck and Sophie Heathscott, along with the team at Pom Pom Quarterly Magazine. You can buy your copy of the magazine and subscribe too at our online shop. That's pompommag.com forward slash shop. Thank you so much again to Naomi Polonsky for being part of the episode and to Laura Mosley for putting us in touch. And big thanks to Eli Block for creating the original music for this show and for being an essential part in creating this podcast. Thanks as always to Megan Fernandez, co-creator and editor of Pom Pom Quarterly. And thanks also to the whole Pom Pom team who help us with tech, supporters, keep us going. You know who you are and we love you. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe and why not leave a review? Send any feedback or ideas to podcast at pompommag.com. Maybe there's another exhibition you'd like us to visit and you know the curator and we could interview them. Anything could happen. And don't forget to keep in touch with us via the podcast group on the Pom Pom Ravelry Forum.